So if you worked from home during the pandemic, you probably didn't use your local dry cleaner as much. And you noticed a little bit more savings and thought, huh, cool. But think about it. Your dry cleaner is run by people. If you're in Southern California, most likely Korean immigrants. And if you're not spending money, that means that they're not making it. And the more that people don't use their services, the likelier it is that they're going to have to close up shop. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. In Louisiana, the destruction wrought by Hurricane Ida leaves hundreds of thousands of people without electricity. The European Union recommends reinstating travel restrictions for Americans due to the surge in coronavirus cases. And China tightens its limits on video games. Children under 18 can play only three hours a week. That's barely only one good run of Mario Kart. Today, we talk about the history of the Korean dry cleaner in the United States. How did people get into this business? And are their days of dominating it done because of the pandemic? We'll talk to the owners of one and learn the full story. But first, we're going to talk to my LA Times colleague, Andrew Campa. He covers Eastern Los Angeles and the San Gabriel Valley and has written about the industry and its challenges. Andrew, welcome to The Times. Thanks, Gustavo. I'm excited to be a part of this. Andrew, what got you interested in doing this story about Korean dry cleaners? Uh, well, Gustavo, I live in the San Gabriel Valley, and there is a huge uh, Korean population, obviously a huge Asian-American population here in the SGV. And so um, I just went to my my dry cleaner, and uh, she had very limited hours, and she was telling me about the struggles. And so it just kind of uh, resonated with me. I, I did some research, and I saw some papers that were written a few years ago about the Korean immigrant dry cleaning experience. And I started making some calls to to local places, and that's how we got this story. So Koreans have migrated to the United States for over a century now, but it really began to pick up in the late 1960s in Southern California, specifically. And almost as soon as they came in, they got into the dry cleaning industry. So what drew them to it? There was always uh, immigration, but it was limited to non-existent before the Immigration Act of 1965. And we see within 10 years of its passage, large-scale immigration uh, from Korea to uh, the U.S. with about uh, roughly 250,000 Koreans immigrating every decade from 1970 to 2010. And they come to the United States uh, very well educated. They come here uh, looking for a job just like any other group. What drew them to to dry cleaning in in particular is that many of these immigrants that came over ran into obstacles uh, within businesses. They ran into racism. Uh, They found different types of ceilings or whatever industry they were in. So when you're able to run your own shop, a lot of that isn't such a big deal. When you run your own dry cleaning business, the interaction with the customer, although you know about 90 to 95% of their customers were, were non-Koreans, non-Asians, the um, interactions with customers are, are very limited, very small, so you don't need to know too much. They can control the hours of the shop, uh, so they would go long hours, 12 to 14 hours, but they would work about six days a week. And since many of the Koreans coming over were Christian, uh, they were able to control that they could take Sundays off, whereas some of the ones who ran convenience stores and nail and hair salons, they had to work those days. So that was a big appeal with the dry cleaning industry. 
And it was also like one person does it, then more people do it. The so-called pioneer. And then you come in as a new immigrant a couple years later, you have a lot of people in your community already doing it. So you figure, hey, this is an easy way to get into commerce. Absolutely. And you, you see this kind of explosion. When one gets into it, then two get into it. And they, they start these sort of mutual aid societies, if you will, around the communities and around the churches. And so when you have new immigrants that are coming over, one of the first places they look to is their local church. And they meet up with fellow Koreans that have just immigrated or have been in the country for a while. So many of the ones that we spoke to were immigrants from Seoul. And so when they arrived at their church, they were able to pick up basic skills right off the bat. Uh, a lot of these churches were offering English language courses, uh, offering courses on how to run businesses. And then since so many people were, were in the dry cleaning business, they just helped each other. They taught each other how this business worked and they sold each other on the merits of this business. And it's not surprising that, you know, a lot of the Koreans that we spoke to for this article, they eventually met their spouses there and they not only started families and, and lives together, but also businesses together. Koreans come to dominate dry cleaning in Southern California and elsewhere also in the United States. And with it, a lot of them were able to find their version of the American dream. Small business owner, they owned it all completely, but it wasn't an easy one. No, absolutely not. It's the classic uh, American tale where there are just so many different groups that come in. They try to find their own niche, if you will. But yeah, there was definitely an explosion. As we saw, this was one of the businesses that was stable. And it was to the point where, you know, you could get different family to help you out. You can kind of take control of, of how you want to run this business. And at one point, one of the people that we speak to, uh, Yu Dong Kim, puts that number at about uh, 1800 in the late 1980s. And about 80% of dry cleaners in Southern California by the late 1980s uh, were Koreans. Uh, you know, there was an author, Pyung Gap Min, who, who lists that there were about 10,000 Korean dry cleaners in the United States in 1990. And it, like people think, you and I, okay, you drop off your clothes, you get your ticket, you come back in two days, whatever, that's that. We don't see all the cleaning that goes into it, all the pressing, the, como se dice, how, how do you say in English, uh, the ironing of the clothes, everything that they do. It, it's, in other words, it's a hard business to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it's grueling. I mean, uh, majority of people we spoke to, they worked 14 hour days. They get up at 5 a.m. and it's about getting it ready for the first opening. So it depends on, on the area, but some stores open at six, some open at seven, eight o'clock. And they had to balance their kids. They'd get up really early. Uh, get up, take their kids to school, then come back, open the store. And so how do, how do you do that? Well, maintaining a family. And so a lot of these cleaners, that's exactly what they do. They'd work these long hours. They wouldn't take lunches. The only break they would have is they go pick up their kids. Sometimes they bring them to the store. But unlike other ethnic groups, the, the Koreans didn't necessarily involve their children too much into the store. They had them there more or less to kind of watch. And sometimes the kids would fill in if it got really busy or they needed uh, help uh, translating. But for the most part, uh, yeah, it was a very grueling six days a week. And then Sunday, you know, the, the one day of rest, you're there do, at church. That's the one day you spend with family and then you're back to the grind. So very difficult indeed. We'll have more after this break. Sandra, we were talking about how hard it is to run a dry cleaner. And then you also mentioned the children, how the, these Korean immigrants did not involve their children into it, just in the most rudimentary way. They instead focused on sending them off to college. So that basically means that Korean domination of the dry cleaning industry is only going to last one generation. 
that was the interesting thing is that, you know, you, you run into a lot of different groups and they tell you, you know, they set up businesses to, to pass on. I mean, that's in my family. In my family, we, we all kind of kicked in. We all helped out. This was a family business that's been passed on for a couple of generations now. But that wasn't the case with uh, Korean Americans. Uh, you know, Korean Americans, they wanted to send their kids to these schools to have basically white collar, good paying jobs. And so while their kids were at these dry cleaners, they weren't necessarily picking up the trade. This wasn't something that they had wanted them to do. They, the, the parents actively encouraged their children to study hard, to, to go to these prestigious schools, so that they would go on to have these jobs that would that would lead them out of this industry. Yeah, no, what you mentioned of the children of the immigrants not want to take it, it happens all the time. My dad was a truck driver. He wanted us to start a truck driving industry together or a business. I'm like, no, nah, it's just too hard of work. I'd rather go off to college. And in this case, the Korean parents, a lot of them didn't even give their children that option. It's just like, go off to college, focus, I'll do that sacrifice. So you have this assimilationist reality. And then comes coronavirus affecting the dry cleaning industry. How hard did it hit it? So it was a devastating blow because roughly since about 2000, we, we start to see what we mentioned early, that children aren't taking over these businesses. And so little by little, the businesses are kind of fading out. What coronavirus did was just accelerate that by a wide margin. And so you had a lot of businesses that were doing okay or, or making a little bit of money. And all of a sudden, they're, they're losing revenues 50, 60, 80% in some cases. And so you had... The, a lot of these owners saying, this isn't worth it. You know, you know, I, I've already put in my time. My kids are already adults. You know, there's, there's no reason for me to continue on. And there were other uh, mitigating uh, circumstances as well. We mentioned in the article briefly that uh, the state of California in 2012 had passed a ban on a uh, toxic cleaning solvent for dry cleaning known as PERC. That ban went into effect in 2020. Many expected some kind of extension to continue uh, that they would get another 10 years, another five years. And then at the end of 2020, they were told, no, no, you, you, need, to, you need to switch out. You need to get these new machines or you can't offer dry clean services. So now all of a sudden uh, you have these machines, hydrocarbon cleaning machines that cost you know anywhere from so those 20,000 to about $80,000. And you have these cleaners that all of a sudden are having these massive revenue losses that either can't afford it or they can't get loans for it. And so within just these uh, less than two years, we've seen uh, massive closings to where uh, the, the president, uh, Mr. Kim, said that, you know, he's expecting maybe only 800 or 900 Korean dry cleaners within the Association of Southern California. Prior to COVID-19, that number was 1,200. So, you know, you're looking at a fourth of these stores closing because of, of what's happened with the pandemic. And we're still in the middle of the pandemic, so you still don't have that many people going into the office as you used to. How are the Korean dry cleaners that you talk to, what are they doing to help each other collectively? So they're just reaching out. Um, They're reaching out to each other and they're talking and they're just trying to figure out the best way to survive. So going back to these self-help associations, they would tell each other, hey, you know, the government's offering PPP loans, go out there and, and, and get these loans. You know, in some cases, some of these cleaners will help each other out with advice, uh, with loans. You know, a lot of the suppliers themselves are also of Korean descent. So they would give discounts or they would extend payment plans to people looking for new machinery. 
you, Don Kim, talked about, you know, encouraging these renters uh, or the people who own these businesses to speak with their landlord directly and see if you can get some kind of extension. The uh, eviction moratorium helped in Los Angeles County, but places outside Los Angeles County, there, there weren't always these moratoriums. So this is what the president would say. Hey, you got to go out. You got to talk to your landlord and see if you can work something out. Do they expect any of this to bring them back to where they were? I think there's a realization that it's never going to be what it was, even if the pandemic were to end tomorrow, that there is an understanding that uh, there's been a, a slight cultural shift in this where people do not want to go back to work. And they have this understanding that it's not going to be like it was uh, pre, you know, March 2020. There are just going to be some people now that are permanently going to work from home or have some kind of split where, you know, it's three days a week at work and two days at home or something like that, some kind of arrangement. Was there any sadness uh, with the people that you talked to, like this realization, as you said, an era is over? Yeah, for sure. You know, we talked to so many of them and, and, and they had mentioned that there are these kind of ups and downs for so many industries and, and dry cleaners just seem bulletproof because everybody needs a clean shirt or blouse. Well, you know, when that when that avenue shut down, yeah, there's a, there's this a tremendous amount of sadness. And, and like you say, Gustavo, even though they're coming back, they're sad that uh, this golden era is over for them, for sure. Thank you so much for this interview, Andrew. Yeah, no problem. Yung Dong Kim is the president of the Korean Dry Cleaners and Laundry Association of Southern California. He and his wife, Stacy, have been running a dry cleaner for as long as they've been married. Hi, my name is uh, Stacy Kim. I am 62 years old. Me and my husband met uh, like in 1984 at the church, and we married in 1986. <laughs> this is our 35th year <laughs> of marriage. I used to own uh, other cleaners. I ran for like uh, over 25 years. Yeah, uh, my name is Yoon Kim. I'm 62 years old, and I work dry cleaning business 29 years or 30 years. When they first started, the Kims knew others in the Korean community who ran dry cleaner businesses. They were a young couple with two small boys. Most of the cleaners wife and husband want to work. It just, you know, simple, basic English needed because, you know, you know, as a first generation, you come from, you know, as an immigrant, first generation from Korea, you have a family, you have a kid, unless you are wealthy, you know, you have to do something right, but and you have a very limited, uh, you know, language skill, so. Sometimes husband, sometimes wife take, can take care, you know, pick up kids, and drop the kid, yeah. you know. That's why the Korean people buy the cleaners at that time. I it, guess was, so. it was good business at that time. Mm, at the time it was really good. Really good. Yeah, like a, 35, 40 years ago, there's so many businesses to open, so many dry cleaners, because they find out, oh, the dry cleaning business is so good, they make good money. Then every shopping mall, there's one shopper, there's one cleaner. The Kims had family who offered financial help. The plan was to take over a dry cleaning business from Yoon's friend, who was retiring. <laughs> when you are ignorant, you are brave. <laughs> you know, we have a way of saying that. When you're, so, because we had to do something. So we didn't know anything about dry cleaning business, nothing. So the previous owner taught my husband everything about like a spotting, you know, how to remove the stains, you know, how to. And the wife of the previous business owner, she taught me everything about the, like a counter work, you know, how to bag, 
We really had a hard time. We made so many mistakes <laughs> trying to remove the stain, but he tried. Uh, sometimes the color faded, so we had to, you know, <laughs> buy them a new clothes. The couple worked 12 to 14 hour days, which involved washing, drying, and hanging hundreds of items of clothes. They fended off angry customers, broke heavy machinery, and frequently inhaled potentially hazardous chemicals. My husband, I tell him to sit down and get rest. Until he finishes his work, he wouldn't sit down and, you know, rest. So he's working really hard. <laughs> he, you know, he's torturing I, himself. When I came to this country in 1983, I used to be working earlier, around 5 o'clock or 5.30. I used to wake up earlier every day, you know, single day. But what can I do? <laughs> By 2017, the Yoons had developed heart and back problems, so they decided to take a break. But after two years... Whether you make money or not, you know, we're still young. You have to do something. You have to move around and you have to do something. After we sold the first business, it gave me a special big lesson, you know. You stay home, mostly stay home, so it becomes so bored. <laughs> yeah. So when a chance to buy a dry cleaner came up, they went for it. The previous owner was uh, my husband's friend, and he we've been knowing him for like 30 years, and they were retiring. So uh, we took over this business, and we're still running this business. Today, the business is called Arroyo Cleaners in Pasadena, California. The Kims say that while rent was high, their profits were steady. But then came COVID-19 and the shutdowns. 2020... March. March, end of March, it happened, the COVID-19 happening. You know, everybody, you know, stay home. Some, sometimes only one customer came in. Yeah. But we stay, we are the essential business. So we have to open. Imagine 12 hours sitting here, waiting, you know, all day for 12 hours, just one customer comes. It was, oh my God, oh my God. So we were like, just looking yeah. at each other. <laughs> Seems like it's not happening, you know, but as time goes by, you know, we realize, oh my God, this is really happening, this is really happening. No profit. Because no our sales volume went down to like 80%. In the beginning, 90%. Someday we made the money, $12. <laughs> Someday, $12. Oh my God, this is all we made today. <laughs> The Kims were able to get a $10,000 grant from the city of Pasadena and qualified for the Paycheck Protection Program from the federal government. They say their landlord also let them pay what they could afford in rent, but the expenses kept coming. We have a lot of expense to cleaners, like a permit fee, you know, we have a fire department inspection, sanitation department, public department, AKMD, fire department, <laughs> and uh, public department, health department, the main thing is uh, the machine broken, you know, the repair fee. Repair fee costs the most. Yoon Kim was hearing from several members of his Korean dry cleaner association about the effects of COVID-19 on their businesses and how they lacked a way to express to the government that they needed more support. As we heard earlier in this episode, hundreds of Korean-owned dry cleaners have closed during the pandemic. The Kim's goal with the business was for their sons to graduate college and pursue their own dreams. While her youngest found his love as a tennis coach, Stacy was surprised to hear her eldest was interested in taking over their dry cleaning business. He may have a better idea to, you know, run the business better, you know, and he speaks perfect English, so who knows? But most of the, you know, 
first generation owners of the dry cleaner. They they want their kids to become a doctor. They want their kids to become an engineer, a lawyer. You know, it's, um, in the future, second generation they take over. I wish they take over so they have they can have a, like a you know more voice to the government, whatever they want. You know, whatever they want to improve. So, yeah, that's the dry cleaner is still good business. Striking is a still good business. But this kind of pandemic situation, really, really directness of tough time, really tough time, you know. But still, nobody knows about that, things feel like. Since the vaccination and people, you know, you can go out and, you know, more uh, go to work physically and yeah, now it's getting better, so my uh, customers are coming back. Now the Delta, Delta, you know, because of Delta, people are kind of, you know, hesitant to come. So we're kind of in the middle of, oh, is it going down or is it staying or, you know. Yeah, so we're so watching, you know. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, Colombia's young people are trying to create a better nation in the wake of COVID-19. The government isn't having it. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Please, please, please don't make us the Pucci of Podcasts. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Marina Peña, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this month. Gracias.